0: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out deep into your retirement or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Daryl Lyons. He is the co-founder of the Pax Financial Group based in San Antonio, also a certified financial planner and author of the book, A Simple and Practical Guide to Money and Retirement for All Ages, 18 to 80. Uh welcome to the show, Daryl. Nice to be with you.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me today. I'm excited to be on your show.
1: Let's just start with a little bit of your background uh, and how you got to be and how you formed your own company here.
2: Yeah, so I, I mean, it's been a long time coming. I, I've really been studying money since I was, um, I guess it was 1998 and uh, got a couple undergraduate degrees in money. But the, the inspiration was because I didn't have any growing up and I just... Wanted to figure out how people could afford houses without wheels on them. We lived in a little single-wide trailer right outside of Castroville, Texas, and and I was just really infatuated with how people, you know, how people figured out money. We just couldn't figure it out, and I had generations that couldn't figure it out. So it really became um, just a curiosity of money. And so I did everything I could. I worked at a bank um, during college. That's how I paid my way through college. Became a CFP as soon as I could. Um, worked for a big Fortune 100 company. When it was really on a career path to be in New York or Wall Street, but San Antonio is my home and it's my wife's home. And so we wanted to stay here and um, we decided to start PAX Financial Group with a couple guys about 12 years ago. And um, we're a fee-based registered investment uh, advisory firm. And uh, we serve—we we like to serve um, what we call middle America, people who who maybe don't have a yacht, um, or maybe we can't really help those that are living on government subsidies, neither neither social class. There's nothing wrong with either of them, but we serve middle America, people who uh, are struggling with their health insurance costs and how to pay for their kids' braces, and that's who we, we help. Um, I've have a good relationship with a national syndicated talk show host named Dave Ramsey, so he's um he's been an advocate for us for a while now, and I appreciate all he's done for Middle America as well. Um And I'm married, and I have four kids and 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 uh, still live in San Antonio, Texas.
1: Perfect. Very good. So you're really focusing on preparing for retirement. Your book kind of goes through each age, starting at eighteen, uh, through retirement. And then you switch to what you call the pivot to retirement. Just explain what you mean by the pivot
2: yeah, pivoting versus retiring. and a lot of uh, one definition I've heard of for retirement is the the disposition of an asset over its useful life. Um, and so that assumes somebody's life is no longer useful. And I have a hard time digesting that. and i've I've met kneecap to kneecap thousands of people and helped them one-on one with their money over the years. And very few people say I'm going to retire and and that's the end of my life. Many people may take a pause and a breather to do some things. Many times it's a remodel or sometimes a vacation, but, they still long for purpose and they still long for significance. And we've identified over the years that um, it's real. Those that have a purpose live longer, those that have a community are happier. And when we can incorporate those things into a financial model, it has an economic impact on people's lives and healthcare cost or longevity. And so we need to think of retirement, not just about the disposition of an asset over a life that's no longer useful, but rather pivoting into next chapter with purpose to where we can reach down to the next generation and help them out a little bit. And so I, I want people to think a little bit holistically about uh, this next chapter of life because there are financial implications if we go into retirement without a purpose, without a plan, without community.
1: Do you think generally people are doing well in planning for retirement and having uh, a good retirement with enough money or a lot of people getting there and and not really having enough money to be able to uh, have a useful and, and, uh, you know... (laughs) Comfortable life, I guess you might
2: say. Yeah, I think I think we're all planning. I think we're actually planning wrong. I think, and that's that's the advice world as well. You know, I'm I'm a licensed advisor, right? And so I get to go to all these conferences and try to get a feel for how the planning modeling looks and how all the technologies look looks and the technology that's being used, the advice that's being given. And I think we're all kind of doing it wrong. Um, we run the numbers, and and as soon as we run the numbers, those as soon as the client walks out the door, that plan is by default already wrong, um, because the markets change, tax rates change, healthcare has changed, Medicare costs have gone up. And so we're, we're planning wrong. Um, we're, we're trying to plan, we're trying to do our best, we're doing it wrong. And so we've got to rethink about incorporating some of the things that are, uh, qualitative, uh, for example, where, you know, how are you going to give? Are you going to give to your children while you're living? Do you have a, a, a desire to, to carve out some money to give while you pass away or when you pass away? Um, let's get husband and wives to, uh, collaborate and work together on the travel plan. One may want to RV while the other one may want to go to Europe, but let's get on the same page there as well. And so I think, I think we're, t- I think the planning is evolving now and I'm starting to see this more and more. Joe Duran at United capitals doing a great job. Dave Ramsey's done it for, for years. So I'm standing on the shoulders of giants here, but, um, I think we're starting to think a little bit differently about planning that it's dynamic. It's ever changing and that it's qualitative, it doesn't just include numbers now. I hope that answers the question. So I think people are planning. I just think they might be planning a little wrong right now. I mean, a lot of people are
1: saying that people are going to live longer, but haven't put aside anything close to enough to live a decent lifestyle. Uh, They've got a very, very small amount of savings, even their 401ks that may not be a enough. And there's a real crisis that people are getting through retirement age, the baby boom particularly, and just not having put anything close to enough aside to be able to think about all these wonderful things and self-actualization you're talking about, they're, they're in survival mode.
2: Oh, you're absolutely right. That's a great point that you make. You know, there is a survival mode. I I ran some modeling about 10 minutes ago before I got on the call with you and, and I ran the numbers and the, and I hate it. I hate to push the button, but I pushed a button and it said the, the survival rate for your retirement, Mrs. Mrs. Uh, client is, is 0%. You are going to run out of money. (laughs) And, um, you know, what do you, what do you do? And and I think what you're having to see more and more, and this is okay, is I think we're having to say, okay, look, you've got, you still got your marbles and you can still work a little bit. So let's do it. Let's go ahead and work. Let's be an Amazon deliverer. Let's be a coach. <laughs> let's be a consultant. Let's go be an Uber driver. Let's go be a Walmart greeter. And so I think what we're seeing is more and more of a trend of people who are looking at the numbers saying, I'm going to run out if I don't do something. And they're working a little bit longer than they thought.
1: Indeed. So, some. What are some of the things people can do to prepare for retirement so that they don't run out of money in their peak earning years?
2: That's a great point. And um, you know, peak earning years for a male is about fifty um after that the the earnings start to decelerate a little bit and and there's a number of factors for that and and they mainly do the studies on men but it really does apply to women but there's some variability into their uh working careers but you know if you assume somebody's around 50 uh then there are some things to do first of all you know if you've spent most of your time raising your kids or just trying to trying to survive it's time that we start getting pretty serious and so I do always start with you know paying down consumer debt and paying off getting the mortgage paid off uh, really focus focusing in, on, on some very practical things and then trying to save 15% of the gross income for retirement. If we can save into a Roth IRA, that's great because we don't know, we would take out the variable of taxes down the road. If you can't put it all in a Roth, maybe we have some tax diversification, but it does require us to really be an adult at uh, around 50 and start to really pay down the debt and start to save, maybe taper off some of the giving. I have a client who just the other day we really had to figure out a way to. to he, he's he's well into his 50s, and we had to figure out a way to eliminate his student loan debt. That wasn't for him, but for his kids. Mm-hmm. And so, part of the thing that we've got to do is, you know, detach from our children in the giving that we're doing there, and focus on ourselves.
1: Now, you're an RIA. As far as investing, do you recommend active investing? Picking individual stocks, money managers, passive index funds, where do you tend to want people to put their money?
2: Yeah, I have I personally have traded stocks before and done some pretty crazy things. And um, it's, it's a very difficult challenge. I've lost a lot of money doing it and I've tried to find uh, some of the perfect algorithms out there and tried to find some of the perfect formulas. And I have yet to find one. Uh, every time I find it, they uh, I get some back testing models that make zero sense to me. So, I don't I don't fall into the camp of individual securities uh, for uh, the majority of people. Um, but then we move into the camp of diversified portfolios, and that would include pa- passive or active. Um, we, like most in our industry, have moved um, more towards passive. Uh, we haven't completely discounted some of the some of the uh, quality active funds that have been around since the 1920s. There are some out there that have great systems, great processes, great people, multiple asset managers, low costs that we have trusted and have worked in the active space. So we don't totally discount it, but it's really hard to duplicate. So we we uh, are leaning more and more, and we've seen our firm evolve over the years to use more and more passive strategies to reduce the cost, have more predictability, less capital gains issues. And so I, I kind of dis, I, I, I kind of consider it uh, a combination of the two with a leaning a little bit more towards the passive side to reduce cost. And on the passive
1: side, do you have more aggressive index funds when as a client is younger and get more uh, conservative as they get older? How do you change the mix of passive as they get older? Your yeah, so... Example.
2: It's a great point. I'm really super inclined to own equity based funds. Uh, I think there's a clear distinction um, in performance over the his- history of equities versus other asset classes. and it's and it's a practical argument. You know we're 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 betting on companies that have earnings that's quantifiable versus something that might be like gold that has no earnings or fixed income that's subject to interest rate risk in a rising interest rate environment. So we're, if somebody's younger, I'm going to really inc- be inclined to use equity-based funds. And as they transition into their pivot years, um, I'm going to still use. Um, equities. I'm not absolutely opposed to equities. I I think at that point we have to um, reassess uh, not just our investment strategy, but our overall asset class strategy. So that means that I'm going to carve out uh, more cash in retirement. So your overall what we call asset placement. So I'm going to want somebody to have 12 months of cash set aside. Um, I'm also going to want to look at pensions and annuities and how can we um, how can we give them a lifetime income without them running out and in the annuity market has evolved over the years where, you know, I used to have a radio show for about, uh, it was about 10 years ago where I'd spend almost every day bashing annuities and I've kind of come around a little bit more to, to see that they have a place for those people that are concerned about running out of money. So that may be a part of your strategy going forward. So I think when we get move into retirement, it's less about, okay, now we're going to reduce your stocks and add more bonds, but rather let's look at all of your assets And see how they work together. And that may be cash, annuities, pensions, and equities. So I'm not necessarily one to completely go 80% bonds in retirement.
1: On the annuities, are these like fixed income annuities or immediate annuities? What kind of annuities do you like today that you didn't like in the past?
2: Yeah, so um, I think that the the costs have come down somewhat. I still think there's a long way to go. Um, I hated, the ones I hated were the equity index annuities because... They had I, – I, I think I got mad at them because the people who were selling them were, were misleading. Uh, for example, the rhetoric was you get a uh, – you get comp- all the stock market rate of return and no risk. And and I would hear this on the radio, and it just drive me crazy. <clears throat> so I wrote articles, and I, and I just loved bashing them. And here I am now using them for my clients. Um, so it's the equity index that actually makes sense right now. The fixed annuities rates are super low, and the variable annuities – the complexity there, um, with all the little maneuvers and uh, the expenses associated with it, are really I can't I can't really feel good yet about most of the variable annuity marketplace. Uh, but it's an expansive marketplace. There's so many variable annuities, so I would be ignorant to say that they're all bad. I, th- I think I'd be remiss to say that they're all bad. But the equity index annuity marketplace, ha- ha- they're working and and they make sense, and so. We found a few places there, and so if you look at our assets, we manage about 300 and 300 a million. We have about uh, 15 million in uh, in equity index. So it's not a huge part of our product portfolio, but we do find a place for it for many clients.
1: Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Daryl Lyons. He is the co-founder at Pax Financial Group, based in San Antonio. Uh, you can find out more about him at his website, PaxFinancialGroup.com.
3: We've all been there. Struggling to keep up with credit card payments? Searching for a simpler, safer way out of debt? Well, here it is. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a nonprofit service that has been helping people reduce or eliminate their credit card debt for over 20 years. Most of us have made late payments and even gone over our credit limits. Before we know it, our balances are out of control and we can barely afford to make the minimum payments. If this sounds familiar and you're ready to take control of your debts, call Cambridge right away at 1-800-897-2200 for a debt-free analysis. Cambridge will work with your creditors and may be able to reduce your interest rates and get you out of debt fast. In fact, Cambridge's typical debt management clients save almost $150 every month on their credit card payments and they're debt-free in just 50 months. So there is a simpler, safer way out of debt and it all starts with Cambridge Credit Counseling. Call 1-800-897-2200 for your free debt analysis. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a Massachusetts-based nonprofit agency providing services nationwide. For complete licensing information, visit them online at cambridge-credit.org. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners.
1: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Daryl Lyons. He is the co-founder of Pax Financial Group based in San Antonio, Texas. His website is paxfinancialgroup.com. Welcome back to the show, Daryl. Thanks for having me back. back. Appreciate it. Tell people a little bit about what they can find at paxfinancialgroup.com.
2: Yeah, we're always changing things up on that site. I've got a great firm out of California that that really helps me figure this stuff out because I don't know what I'm doing there. But we we try to put content on there that that people um, would find value in. We uh, we have some videos that we put up. Um, one video that seems to get a lot of attention is um, what you need to be, need to know about Social Security. Uh, we have um, we have a good friend of ours that's an expert in that space. He worked for Social Security for many years, and so I interview him real quick video. Um, we also have a Medicare expert in our office and um, I interview him. And so there's a quick, I think it's two or three minute videos. So you can grab those videos. And, and one thing I do have on there too, if somebody wants to get real nerdy about retirement, uh, I developed uh, an entire course called pivot retirement planning. And it's an online course. It's, I think it's priced at $39. I have a publisher that varies the price depending on Um, a few factors he has. But you can find that entire course on there if you wanted to just nerd out on this retirement stuff. And and, uh, it's all in there under the resources tab at paxfinancialgroup.com. Great. Now,
1: today, a lot of people are entrepreneurs. What are some of the special challenges that entrepreneurs face when going towards retirement? If they can't continue their businesses, they want to sell their businesses. What, What are some of the specific challenges there?
2: It's a, it's a place that's dear near and dear to my heart. I'm an entrepreneur and so is my father and so is my brother and so is my sister, um, in all different industries. And so I spend a lot of time. I've actually, uh, lobby for small business in DC. And so, um, being that two thirds of all jobs in the country are small business. Uh, I just say that because I take it very serious, that question. Um, because when you're transitioning, from um, a work that much of our identity is in what we do that's a very difficult transition and sometimes when we have that amygdala hijack um, that we make emotional decisions and we fail to think logically about how we make the transition and i Suggest to entrepreneurs that it's going to take three to five years to make a a, a decent transition in your business. It certainly, I, I saw it I saw it the other day with a business owner who sold his business in ninety days and and made a ton of money, and he is happy as can be. That doesn't happen too often. W- what we have to do for an entrepreneur is we have to have curb appeal, meaning we have to have about three years of earnings that are accelerating if we can create that financial model to show earnings that are accelerating for three consecutive years in a row we've become more attractive to potential buyers and 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 so uh, that also means that we have to build relationships with potential buyers and that could be strategic buyers buyers that are interested in selling their uh their product to your client it's a different industry but it's a fit or you could even consider acquisitions, pure acquisitions uh, uh, from your competitors. But over the next three to five years, getting that curb appeal of your earnings to look the right way, coupled with building relationships with potential partners that can transition you out, is very important. Um, so that uh, that would be one thing I would suggest. And then also, I'd suggest if you're if you have a little bit more time, then um, starting to save outside of your business, it's really important. You know, we can be the best entrepreneur, we can be the best business owner, have the best strategy, have the best uh, 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 clients and products. But if we're a hardware store and do everything right and Walmart moves in next door, we're toast. And so I really want entrepreneurs to start saving, like I said before, uh, 15% of their gross income uh, into outside accounts, outside of their uh, business so that just in case life happens, they've got something else. And and many many benefits in the retirement space are for entrepreneurs. So you could set up a SEP or a solo 401k or a group 401k or a simple that are very tax efficient to do that.
1: Very good. Now, you're a big believer in what's called behavioral finance, which is kind of the study of psychology as it relates to financial decisions. What are some of the big money mistakes that people make uh, that you learn from your behavioral financial studies?
2: Yeah, so that's that's obviously a trend in our industry as well, and one that uh, Daniel Kahneman was really, and Trevinsky were really the, I think the founders of in the '70s, but has really caught on. I'm I'm seeing that the biggest one is uh, the lack of friction that exists today. Uh, for example, I'm sure people are listening right now that just a few minutes ago they did a one-click pay on Amazon and bought some stuff, right? And it's just so easy to buy today; all the friction's gone and when McDonald's used to break a twenty, um, they made three dollars and fifty cents less than what they made t- today. So, in other words, they make three hundred dollars, three dollars and fifty cents per transaction more right now because we don't even think we just swipe. So, the swipes, the optical uh, pays, the one-click pays, the lack of friction where we no longer think um, this is a real problem, and so we end up at the end of the month having no money for uh, debt pay down or to give or to save and so i just encourage people to integrate a pause into their purchasing especially as we come into the christmas holidays and just think um uh, ask yourself do i need it do i love it and if you're an entrepreneur will it make me money and and just pause and you'd be surprised i've i've implemented the pause for several people and saved them uh, a lot of money Uh, one specific example of somebody who was going to buy a truck and it was going to cost him eight hundred dollars a month he paused saved up for it and was able to pay cash later. And so you'd be surprised uh, how this, this world now that we live in, the lack of friction, is really eating away at our middle-class money. Okay. You w- like to
1: talk about helping your aging parents. Now, a lot of people are living to their 80s and 90s mm-hmm. and 100s, but they don't have enough money to do that, and so the parents often rely on the kids to bail them out. So how do people who want to save for their own retirement uh, still help their aging parents?
2: Yeah, and that's I think that's the biggest question people are asking me right now, or the biggest concern that's coming in. Um, I it was in the, it was a hallway conversation. And somebody said, "What's the number one thing you're seeing that's problematic?" And it's the it's the sandwich generation. It's the helping the aging parents, coupled with all the also the boomerang bedrooms. The the younger the, the adult child maybe getting a divorce, moving back in with the parents for a little while. But still trying to care for uh, their parents, the grandma and grandpa who are in their 70s or 80s, and they're you know slowly starting to need some help um, physically, maybe, but also emotionally, or f- of course financially. The, the the sad thing is is it's tearing it's tearing at least what I'm seeing it's tearing some families apart where. Um, one sibling says, uh, you know, I'm putting all the time in and you're not doing anything to help and I'm putting all my money in and you're not doing anything to help. And, or, or I've even seen it on the other side when somebody dies and this, the caregiver child will carve out some money and say, no, this is the money to compensate me for all the time I put in over the last five years to help. And so my point in that is, what I'd hate, what I think that can get resolved is some coordination between siblings to identify who's responsible for financially, not just the rich kid, but you know what's fair, what's equitable, um, and then also who's responsible for time and having some conversations about expectations um, before things get really emotional. Uh, because I think the biggest thing about this caregiver for parents, and and I think the parents would agree, is that you don't want it to destroy a family. Uh, Nobody wants that, especially the parents. And so having dialogue about financial expectations and time expectations in a very mature way is important. And there's mediators out there that can help with that. So I I really see that as as an important um, iteration of this caregiver uh, situation that we're in in our country because it is happening at a very rapid rate with 10,000 people turning 65 every day.
1: Is this something that you would do as a financial planner? Because it's very tricky within the family, <clears throat> all these family relations and who's giving how much time and how much money and who deserves what. This is very complicated stuff. Is this something that you will step into and uh, try to help
2: them resolve? You know, I'll step in only a little bit because it gets really deep and it requires a different skill set. So it, I I always identify whenever that it's beyond my core competency to partner with people who specialize in this space. So I have relationships with people that can walk life um, with these families. And so that's what, what, what I do. Is, I try people, to,
1: what, what, is it psychologists? What kind of people? What's no, there's,
2: yeah, there's actually people who are former financial planners that said, I'm done with the financial planning stuff and I'm going to just uh, be a mediator. Um, I see. Yeah, it's an industry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Indeed, it is okay. Um, so what are some of the common financial mistakes that small business owners uh, tend to make? Putting too much of their money and their effort into their small business and not diversifying. Or what are some of the other things
2: that they make that are? Mistakes? Yeah, you know, we, you know, as a small business owner, I've, cu- I think I've, I think I've made all the mistakes personally. Uh, certainly the, the cash flow uh, mistakes of of overextending myself. Um, we've We've managed pretty well our small business. We don't have any debt, and we have twenty employees. and and we you know i'm I'm an ac- accountant by uh, education, so I tend to watch the numbers. but that's that that may be the biggest one is where I'll see uh, an entrepreneur um move so fast and have problems. And so the solution to every problem is is I'm going to sell my way out of this problem. So I'm uh, making bad decisions. Let's say an entrepreneur is making bad decisions. The solution is, oh, to fix that problem, I'm just going to sell more stuff, sell more widgets or services or whatever. And that happens, and that will work t- sometimes until it doesn't, and then you're stuck with uh, a liability. That happened recently with a friend who's very sharp, and he was just going so fast that he wasn't paying attention to his uh, PL and l um, and he wasn't paying attention to his uh, – Spending, and he ended up owing well over a hundred thousand to the IRS because he wasn't paying his his uh, his his um, bills each each quarter. So you know, I think really paying attention to the cash flows as an entrepreneur. Many entrepreneurs don't want to worry about that; they want to want to just give it to somebody else to not to not mess with. But really, spending time looking at how much you're spending per month. Uh, burn rate is an, is a phrase used a lot in the dot com um, industry area. And, and, and I think all entrepreneurs should know their burn rate. If your burn rate is 50,000 a month, you need to know that number, 175,000 a month, and then you need to pay attention to it. Yeah.
1: Okay. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Daryl Lyons. He is the co-founder at PAX Financial Group based in San Antonio, Texas. You can find out more about him at his website, which is paxfinancialgroup.com. We'll be back after this. If you're like me, the list of books you want to read is never-ending. You simply don't have time to read them all. Blinkist has solved this problem. Blinkist is the only app that takes thousands of the best-selling nonfiction books and distills them so you can read or listen to them in under 15 minutes all on your phone. I like to listen to Blinkist while I commute to my office. The Blinkist library is massive, from timeless classics like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, to current bestsellers like Fire and Fury inside the Trump White House. My personal recommendation is to check out the four-hour workweek. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com moneyanswers to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist spelled blinkis tcom moneyanswers to start your free seven-day trial. You can cancel anytime. Blinkus.com slash Money Answers.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Daryl Lyons.
1: He is the co-founder of the Pax Financial Group based in San Antonio, Texas, his website, paxfinancialgroup.com. Welcome back to the show, Daryl. Thank you. So your book is called A Simple and Practical Guide to Money and Retirement for All Ages 18 to 80. And you go year by year through some of the things people should look for. Let's just kind of do it in some a bunch of uh, age ranges. So let's say 18 to 25. What are some of the things that people should be doing when they're kind of getting uh, off to a good start financially?
2: You know, it sounds maybe even counterintuitive, but I, I really wanted to make sure early in the, somebody's financial life that they started setting up a habit of giving. Uh, as I started to do some uh, research in this space, I, I I was overwhelmed by the research that shows the um, emotional uh, benefits of giving. And uh, there's plenty of research. I know uh, University of Notre Dame, Science of Generosity, did some great studies and more than a handful of people have validated the, the power of giving. So when somebody gives systematically and substantially uh, to those that are hurting and hungry, um, they actually suffer from less depression and anxiety. And if I see that as being a prevalent issue today for many people, um, I would want to combat that as of an advisor early in somebody's working career when they're broke because it's easier to give when you don't have any. And then just setting that habit up of giving systematically, and so that when you have money, uh, you have already created that habit. So when I was um, broke, uh, starting the business is when I started to give ten percent of everything I made, and I have not stopped giving ten percent since that time, and that was you know fifteen years ago. And so I uh, I can attest to the power of that, and I certainly enjoy it. But it's interesting how science validates how giving actually reduces anxiety. So I'm going to encourage those that are between 18 and 25 to do something that's uh, somewhat counterintuitive and set up a habit of giving as a percentage of their income early in life.
1: So many people in that age group are just so weighed down by particularly student loan debt, some credit card debt, but particularly student loan debt, they can't even think about giving. They're just so, that's why many of them are moving back home again because they can't service a student loan debt and also have a life. What do you recommend for people who've taken on a huge amount of student loan debt?
2: Yeah, good question. I still actually recommend giving. I think they can find the giving in their Starbucks. Um, I think the giving is there. So I'm not really worried about um, the trade-offs, um, although it seems pra- impractical at first glance. Um, but then, of course, paying down the debt aggressively, moving back in um, with mom and dad. You know, At first glance, I think that's kind of a, a, a weak uh, choice, but but then if I digested it, it's actually a very smart and prudent choice. And as we know, many people who are overwhelmed with the student loan debt, which we see as an epidemic today, uh, they do have to work several jobs and be very disciplined. But um, me, uh, I personally came out of a private school. Uh, again, I told you I lived in a little trailer park, went to a private school. Um, I tried to pay for it all, but I came out with student loans as well. And it did take me, I believe it was 10 years to pay it off, but I was very aggressive. all my, uh, As much as I could, uh, bonuses, tax returns, garage sales, side hustle jobs, anything I could do, I paid it off. And it felt amazing not to have that $700 monthly payment anymore, uh, which was very difficult. But it can get done if we stay very focused on it. So I just know it's going to require some tough work, but I don't want people to not be able to give and not do the right thing while they're getting out of debt.
1: In addition to getting out of debt, you have a chapter, which is age 23, which is disciplined saving. So how can people be saving while they're also giving and also paying down their debt at the same time?
2: Yeah, good question. I don't know if the numbers will, match, will, uh, will add up, up that well on the saving and paying down debt. That may be where they may have a trade-off, where the, the debt payoff plan is a priority above the saving. Now, some people will uh, suggest that you, if you have a 401 k plan, you've got to put it in just for the match. And so, I can I can buy that, but really, it's a matter of attitude that um, you hate the student loan, you hate it, you despise it, it makes you angry, it makes you sick. And and I think when you get that attitude of I hate the student loan, you figure out a way to pay it off. I know I hated the student loan. I felt um, I felt bad for having it. And and when when you're indifferent and you don't care. Um, then you'll never get it paid off. And so uh, you may need to pause your retirement savings for more than a few years, and that's okay because if you start up later, let's say at 30, yes, you're behind, but you freed up your cash flow to be a little bit more aggressive. So I actually would suggest to many people, don't compromise in the giving. The, the evidence is too good there to not give, but you may need to compromise on the savings for a season of time, but you only do that if you're very angry at your debt.
1: You talk at age 25 about the money side of marriage. What are some of the mistakes people make in getting married on the financial end?
2: Well, We know that the easiest way to become a millionaire is to be a billionaire and get a divorce. So the idea of going into marriage without a plan is very dangerous. And so I am suggesting that many people who go into marriage get marital counseling. Marital counseling reduces the probability of divorce by about 30%. And having dialogue about our biases and heuristics of how we were raised with money, many of our money rules of thumb uh, come from the way our parents did money and our observations of our parents. And those may be right, or or those may be wrong. And so unpacking what we believe to be true about money: Are you a? Uh, is one spouse inclined to give because of the uh, of, of the dopamine burst of giving, or is one Uh, one spouse concerned about any money going out because they were poor and they want to make sure they build up a a nice reserve, having that dialogue early about our inclinations um, and understanding and respecting each other's heuristics and our rules of thumb will serve them well when conflict comes and conflict will come. And so I'm suggesting that, you know, in the money side of marriage, getting marital counseling, because uh, I do see wealth destroyed very quickly. And the only winners in this destruction of wealth for divorce are the attorneys. Yes.
1: Now the next 10 years, age 26 to 35 or so, uh, you, you talk about various things that we're kind of getting into our career now, possibly buying a home. What are some things people should look for in that age group?
2: Yeah, this is when we, you know, I think people are using the word now, adulting, right? Um, and so this is where we have to start being a little bit more mature and doing things that, you know, frankly, are just not fun. And that may be you know the insurance stuff, making sure you have a proper amount of umbrella coverage and uh, ID theft insurance and 10 times your income on life insurance and quality disability coverage uh, if you can get it through work, uh, adequate health insurance. And so making sure you protect the goose that lays the golden eggs, uh, which is not a lot of fun. And the other thing I'm going to suggest is taking inventory of your peers. What we have identified is that many people's um, behaviors, their car purchasing behaviors, the clothes, the travel, the vacations, what their kids wear, where their kids go to school, is not because it's a good judgment call or because they're, or they're making some decision rooted in some research. Many times it's influenced by their peers. And so taking inventory of your peers and how much they're influencing your decisions. And as I mentioned before, a, a huge Dave Ramsey fan, and I, one of the things I think he says that makes a ton of sense is, act your wage. And so if you are identifying that you are uh, around peers that are making a greater income and can do things that you can't afford to do, that is okay. I had a friend the other day that bought a pool that just can't afford it. And I'm scratching my head thinking, how in the world are you going to be able to do this? And of course, it was home equity loans, and now it's part-time jobs, and now it's a lot of pressure on their family. And it's because they did not act their wage. And so I'm going to encourage them to you know just many people in this age group to protect themselves. certainly, I want to make sure that's done, but also to make sure that you don't try to uh, be too influenced. It's hard to avoid it altogether by your Pinterest and your Facebook friends.
1: Specifically, as it relates to the cost of kids, uh, do people not really take a close look at what it's going to cost to have kids and and they underestimate uh, that whole thing? What, what How should they handle? The financial aspect of having kids.
2: Yeah, so it's, it's you know, the average American has 2.8 kids now or something like that. And again, I have four some over the average. Uh, I think that we don't quite, you know, understand, the uh, obviously, the cost of kids today. It's very expensive and um, health care cost. Um, you do have economies of scale, as business people say. The more kids you have, you know, the shared bunk beds and shared groceries and leftovers and hand-me-downs. It doesn't cost as much to have you know, five or six. Uh, my friend in my office has seven, so it doesn't cost them as much. The hand-me-downs are free. Um, but you know, the kids do cost money of course, but I, I think it's, you know, I have four kids and I can never imagine making a financial decision and not having my little Lucy. She is such a joy. And so I don't really worry about that too much. It seems that all the families that I've spoken with thousands and thousands, kneecap to kneecap over the years, um, they've made it and, and, it, and life's been okay. And, um, uh, I, I don't think we make a financial decision based on our kids, a uh, number of kids we want to have. I think we just kind of work, it all works out. And I know that's coming from a financial guy, but um, very rarely do I say, hey, you probably shouldn't have another kid because you're not in a good financial situation. That's just really not a place for me to, to speak of. But if you are going to have other kids, then we have to be very real about, you know, what's our house going to look like and what's our food budget going to look like. And the USDA has a, and I think this is on my website. If not, somebody can email me. But the, um, the USDA has an interesting formula that talks about how much groceries you should be spending um, per household based on how many kids you have. And I always find that's interesting whenever I have a dialogue with somebody and, and they say, wow, I'm spending a lot more than I should. Then we can kind of have a, a mature conversation about spending relative to kids.
1: And then you have something on real estate. Uh, some people are delaying buying homes in those age groups, and they're renting more than they would in the past because they're worried about taking on the big obligation on the mortgages. Is that a smart move to delay buying real estate in that age group?
2: It really is. I mean, the the cost of real estate is not just the mortgage or property taxes or insurance. It's it's you know, for me, my first house it flooded, uh, and and I didn't have the flood insurance, so um, or, or a tree, you know, a tree f- falling down and, or fence falling. I mean, my first house, I just lost, I mean, it was not the mortgage. It was all the other stuff. And, and so I really think it is just wise just to rent for a little while, uh, again, save up, especially if you have that student loan debt, you know, save up for a house, uh, a home, uh, home buying is a great wealth building tool, but it has to be done right. Cause it could also, really devastate and put a lot of stress on your family and your marriage. But I think renting's fine. And I think we're seeing a trend in this renting. And I think that's absolutely okay. Very good. We're
1: going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Daryl Lyons. He is the co-founder at PAX Financial Group based in San Antonio, Texas. His website is paxfinancialgroup.com. We'll be back after this.
5: Attention Heroes. Current and former firefighters, law enforcement, military, medical, or educational professionals. Heroes can receive rewards averaging over $2,500 when they buy, sell, or refinance a home. Heroes come first. Along with the Homes for Heroes is the nation's largest hero reward program. Their mission is to provide extraordinary savings to heroes who provide extraordinary services to our nation and its communities every day. Learn how you can purchase a home for no down payment, no closing costs, and get money back at closing. Find out how you can own for less than you may pay for rent. Get your hero rewards at heroescomefirst.com. That's heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, comefirst.com. 888-437-6114. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money
1: Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Daryl Lyons. He is the co-founder at Pax Financial Group based in San Antonio, Texas. His website, paxfinancialgroup.com. Welcome back to the show, Daryl. Thank you. So we're going through the different age groups that you talk about in your plan, A Simple and Practical Guide to Money and Retirement for All Ages. And kind of in the middle years, mid-30s to mid-50s, what are some of the things that people should really be doing that they tend not to get done during those kind of peak earning years?
2: Yeah, it sounds like I'm promoting, but it's really true. I honestly believe that they need an advisor at this age. Um, you need an advisor because you've got to focus uh, on what you're good at and you've got to outsource some of the other stuff. So don't stop doing turbo tax, Stop trying to manage your own money. Uh, hire professionals to liberate you from the, those day-to-day burdens so that way you don't make emotional decisions. What we've identified is that people's net worth and their inc- uh, their investments um, grew Uh, but only 13% of that growth was from asset allocation or market timing or investment selection. The other 87% of that growth was from making good decisions. And so in order to make really wise, unemotional decisions, you need a professional network of people. So in that age group, in your peak earning years, you really got to be focused. And I, I really highly suggest outsourcing it to an advisor that can help make wise decisions alongside you who understands you, and that would include an accountant as well.
1: One particular area is college and putting money aside for college education, so that you don't get to, your kids don't get to school, and have to borrow so much. How can people put money aside in a good way for college?
2: Yeah, so I love the 529 plans. Um, those are you know there's state specific, so you can get a state income tax deduction in certain states. But also, as you get closer, somebody who might have a 16 year old that's getting close to college, uh, considering hiring a coach uh, specifically before their junior year because that junior year is the most important year for college, but uh, a coach that can um, position them, uh, their grades, their credits for the university of choice along with identifying alternative universities that might be a stepping stone to the uh, alma mater of what the parents want. You talk at age
1: 50 that it's no time left to be timid. What happens when people
2: start hitting their 50s?
1: How do they become timid?
2: Well, I think what happens is um, you see paychecks start to decelerate in terms of growth because if you're making, I don't know what, I'll make up a number, if you're making $75,000 and uh, you're expecting a 10% raise, that's a big expense to the employer now. So you're not going to get the same types of pay raises you were used to in the past. And so... Um, you can't be timid here. Meaning, you may want to scratch that entrepreneurial itch now and get a side hustle, uh, invest some money in a, in a in a in a in a in some industry that you've been thinking about for years, or some hobby that you have, or quit altogether if it makes financial sense. But this is the time for you to step out and actually start a business and not be timid, because you can't expect pay increases to make up for lost times of things financially you should have done in the past.
1: You also talk about tax diversification. What do you mean by that?
2: So now's the time where you can spread your money out, not in just traditional 401ks that reduce your taxable income and traditional IRAs, but also into Roth IRAs if you qualify. I want to encourage your listeners to Try to put as much money into Roth IRAs as possible because down the road, if you have two or three buckets of money to choose from, I would suggest maybe a non-qualified bucket of money, uh, IRAs, traditional IRAs, and tax-free money, then you will have more flexibility. And that flexibility is very important because taxes impact Social Security down the road, Medicare rates, and also your personal income tax. So having three different buckets of money down the road will help you a lot in retirement.
1: So now you're getting to the, as you call it, the pivot age. Uh, tell us what pivot stands for, what do those letters stand for?
2: Yeah, peace, imagination, vigor, opportunity, and time. And that's just the collision of of an idealistic second chapter of life where you do have the time and the energy to do great things. And it takes a little imagination, but the end result is is really living a life that's a fulfilling life and not one that's just worried about money all the time or it's just obsessed with Fox News and flower beds, but it's actually making a difference in the world.
1: You talk about letting your Social Security cook. You're saying a lot of people are taking Social Security too early. What do you mean by that?
2: They are, and that means a lot of people are taking Social Security early under the theory that they believe Social Security is going broke. Um, There's plenty of studies. The Congressional Budget Office did plenty of studies. And those that are born in the 1960s, there's a very high probability in the 80 percent range that you will have at least 90 percent of your Social Security. So taking it early is not a factual decision. It's an emotional decision. So I want people to consider letting it cook a little bit longer if you can. And that may be age 66 or age 70, depending on your situation.
1: And how about Medicare? Do you think people should get Medicare directly or Medicare Advantage plan when they're 65 plus? What should they do?
2: Yeah, definitely. And and certainly uh, that's very situational depending on um, their doctors and their needs. But Medicare has been very, very good to our clients. We love, we actually sell Medicare. I think we're one of the few financial advice firms, at least I know in San Antonio that actually does financial advice. And then we have a a a separate office that sells Medicare and Medicare supplements. And the reason is, is because it's, it's a, it's an integral part of the planning process. And so we want to make sure that people have Medicare can get the right kind, can know the different carriers, uh, the different, uh, options on them. And so I'm, I'm going to be evasive with that question because it's certainly there's some variables that depend, but, um, I very pleased with Medicare and those that are thinking about it should be encouraged about it going forward. It's been very helpful to our seniors.
1: You talk about in your senior years that you should chillax. What do you mean by that?
2: Yeah, yeah, chillax. Well, we've got a lot of market volatility right now, but the reality is is, is this happens all the time. It's predictable, just like the fall and winter seasons. And um, we know that there's still lines at Starbucks. Netflix still has record subscriptions. People are still going to buy toilet paper and tires and toothpaste. And so the market's still work, working and it's still going to function and we're going to be okay. And so I don't want people to worry about the stock market um, in an emotional sense. Certainly, you know, pay attention and 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 ask questions. But the the idea of worrying is so detrimental to somebody in their 60s and 70s that I really want to take that away and just let you know that the market is very healthy in terms of products being sold and and services being developed and and patents being made and a global middle class growing every year. There's a new middle class in India that's equal to Canada, and they're consuming Starbucks and Netflix like never before.
1: You said it's important for people to update their wills. What happens if people do not update their
2: wills? Well, in some states, the uh, probate court's a complete mess. I know California is one of those, and so you can be hung up in probate for years where your beneficiaries will not receive what they were are entitled to. Texas is not near as bad. That's where I'm from. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to leave the judgment of interpretation of wills to the hands of a judge, I want to make sure it's very clear because a judge's responsibility is not to interpret your wishes. Um you want him he's he's responsible or she's responsible for executing your wishes. So you need to make sure it's very clear. And this will prevent the next generation from fighting over your money. And again, it's very important to me that I make sure that the kids that you leave behind aren't fighting over money and families aren't being torn apart. I've seen it over and over again over the years. The kids just, brothers and sisters, hate each other because something wasn't clear in the will. In about two
1: minutes we have left, why don't we kind of sum up what we've talked about here and what difference it would make to work with a financial planner like you as opposed to not.
2: Yeah, I think it comes down to um, about, you know, you think about every five years within a five-year time frame, life happens. Stuff just happens in life. God forbid, a death or a new job or market crashes, market goes up or 401k um, questions. And and you need to just lean on somebody with experience because what happens is 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 these decisions, you can make one bad decision in, and it could really be worth the price of, of hiring an advisor. I had one client who had a million dollars. And they decided not to hire me. They came back a year later, and I said, what would you do with the million? They said, we were so nervous we couldn't put it in the markets. That year, that market made about 18%. And so the decision of indecision cost them a a lot of money, $180,000. And and I think what happens is is when you hire an advisor, they take that emotional decision-making out and give you rational decisions. And so that's why it's very important to hire one. Terrific. Well, thanks so much.
1: My guest this hour has been Daryl Lyons. He is the co-founder at PAX Financial Group based in San Antonio. You can also find out more about his book, A Simple and Practical Guide to Money and Retirement for All Ages, 18 to 80, at his website, paxfinancialgroup.com. Thanks for being on The Money Answer Show, Daryl. Thank you for having me.
0: And we'll be back next week with another edition of The
1: Money Answer Show.
0: Goodbye for now.